Well, today's scripture for us is found in Matthew uh, chapter 27, starting in verse 57. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there with me. Uh, If not, the scripture will be on the screens behind me. So we are in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 57. It reads, As the evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary thing it is to gather together your people on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of your son and our resurrection as his disciples as we receive life eternal in him through faith by grace. So we pray, O God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Open our hands, O God, that in response we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So question, um, anyone raising kids find it particularly easy? I mean, it's, 
it's like the easiest thing ever. Uh, just, just try it a few times and you'll see. One of the things I find particularly challenging about raising kids is to raise them up in honesty. Any of you have any children that have uh, kind of a curious relationship with the truth? Um, <laughs> You know, there's a bend and a twist. There's always an excuse or a way of kind of working around what actually happened, what the truth really is. And so I hear some of these catchphrases, you know, like let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like, like I want to be a man of my word or honesty is the best policy. Have any of you ever tried to teach that one? Honesty is the best policy, or my word is my bond. That doesn't work with kids much because they don't know what bond means, you know? So, you know, it, it is so important to be able to teach honesty, to have a firm relationship with the truth. And, and, and here in this space, I know some of you are naturally trusting people, and others of you are naturally skeptical people. God bless you all. Some of you trust and some of you are skeptical naturally. And, and, and I think that what's interesting when we talk about the difference between trusting people and skeptical people is not the ultimate outcome, but it is actually the starting place. It's the starting place. Because a, a trusting person is going to, by default, trust you at your word. What you say is true until proven otherwise. You, you're going to start trusting and then a more skeptical person, a more suspicious person, is going to begin from a place of distrust. You're going to have to prove me, that, that prove to me that you are trustworthy before I can lean in and trust you. And, and in both situations, the trusting person and the skeptical person will be lo looking for the proof in the pudding. Over and over again, is this person is this situation, is this company, is this story trustworthy? And so I want to invite us to ask the critical question on this Easter Sunday, can we trust Jesus at his word? Can we trust Jesus at his word? Now, now that, that might seem like a, a harsh question for us to gather around on Easter Sunday, but I believe we need to, to lean in here and, and find out, do we trust Jesus? Whether we're a trusting person or a skeptical person, can we walk through with Jesus at his word and say, he is trustworthy? Now, some of you might have been surprised at where we begin, began the text today. We began in chapter 27, and some of you might have been hoping, thinking, expecting that we were going to begin in chapter 28. Uh, you're like, we already had our Good Friday service on Friday. Uh, why are we walking through Friday and Saturday? But, but I think it's important for us to orient ourselves to where we are in the story because the Easter morning resurrection celebration is made even more profound in this uh, orientation. Any of you uh, uh, hear that we had the Pharisees still in the story? In chapter 27, verse 63, the word reads uh, that the Pharisees speak to Pilate and say, uh, we remember that while Jesus was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. The Pharisees are recounting this for us. 
And, and, and whenever I hear that the Pharisees are introduced, I begin to get frustrated because I'm tired of the Pharisees. Uh, the, the Pharisees that uh, earlier in Holy Week bribed Judas with money for a betrayal of Jesus. That the, the Pharisees that come with Judas as Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and, and hands Jesus over to the Pharisees. The Pharisees that had a sham trial before the, the Sanhedrin on the night of, good, uh, of, of Monday Thursday. The, the Pharisees that then uh, were uh, in the crowd egging people on to release Barabbas, a murderer, instead of Jesus. The Pharisees that looked on while Jesus was flogged, was beaten, was mocked, had a crown of thorns put on his head, uh, was, was given a walk of shame uh, carrying his cross, was nailed to the cross and pierced for our transgressions and ultimately died. These same Pharisees are still in the story. Why? Why? You would think they would exit stage right. They have done everything that they sought to do. They have killed Jesus and humiliated him before the masses. The one that rode in victoriously on a donkey now sits dead in a tomb. Why are the Pharisees still here? The Pharisees on this holy Saturday, mind you, this is their Sabbath. On this Sabbath Saturday, they break Sabbath out of a sense of extreme urgency and go to Pilate for one last request they say, Pilate, we need to make sure that this thing is secure. We need to make sure that this thing holds. We know that, that we have had him killed and that he is laid in a tomb, but it has to hold. We remember that he said his word was that he would rise in three days. Now, some of us, if we haven't journeyed all the way through the Gospel of Matthew recently, might not recognize uh, that Jesus said this. We might wonder, did the Pharisees make this up? Did the Pharisees mishear Jesus? Is this a poor recording of it? And then we walk through and we hear that in Matthew 16, we have the first of three different accounts of Jesus uh, predicting his death and his resurrection. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. That, that, that is Jesus not mincing words. Pretty direct, pretty clear. This is what Jesus told his disciples to expect. The second time he predicts his death is one chapter later in chapter 17, verse 22. Hear this. Now these letters are in red. It's not just an account of what he said. It's a quote of what he said. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, quote, Jesus speaking, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. He will be raised 
to life. And then the third time Jesus predicts his death in the gospel of Matthew is in chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. He's now taking the, the, the 12 disciples aside, and he speaks to them very clearly. Also, words in red, Jesus' own words. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief, chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus' own words, three times over. I will die. I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will be raised to life. And the Pharisees heard it and remembered it. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was still a threat even as he was dead. How many dead men are a threat? One. And the Pharisees heard that Jesus said that he would be raised from the dead. So they went to Pilate and they said, Pilate, we need you to secure the tomb. We need this to be the end. And I understand their concern. Their concern was reasonable and valid. Because over the course of Jesus' life, every time he spoke a word, it came to pass. Over and over again, Jesus' word was proved true. Walk with me here. So in Matthew chapter 11, the disciples of John the Baptist... They are, they're coming to approach Jesus. Uh, John is now in, uh, in prison, and they are asking, uh, they are asking Jesus, uh, what can we tell John about you? What can we say about you? Are, are, are we to tell him that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Are, are we to tell, you that, tell him that, that all has been accomplished in you? Or is there one to come after you? And here's what Jesus says to John's disciples, the testimony that they are to bring back. And then we're going to verify this together, okay? So in chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, it says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear, the words that Jesus speaks, and what you see. What you hear from Jesus and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's quite a list. I mean, that's a resume, isn't it? Uh, can, yeah, I wish that I had one of those when I was applying for a job. Right? Like, hey, let me just walk through what, what, what I have done. What you have heard me say, what you have seen me do, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Did those things actually happen, though? I mean, did they? Jesus is just giving this to John's disciples as an account, but can we look back in Scripture and hear the testimony and the witnesses of the many and find out how and where this took place? Well, in, in Matthew, uh, just a few 
verses before that chapter 11 testimony, we, we see a blind man. Actually, we see two blind men. Two blind men, they're, they're calling out to Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And then Jesus asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they say, yes, Lord, we believe. And he touches their eyes and he says to them, his words now in their power say, according to your faith, let it be done, the blind see. And just a few verses before that, in, in, in chapter, six, chapter 9, verse 6, just, just before that, there's a paralyzed man, and his friends want to bring him to Jesus so that he'll be able to walk. And they bring him on his mat. They lower him through the roof. They lay him before Jesus' feet. And Jesus there looks on him and the faith of his friends and says, your sins are forgiven. That is so controversial. But then after that, Jesus looks, and in order to prove to them that he has the power to forgive sins, he tells the man, in verse 9, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up, take your mat, and go home. So the blind see, the lame walk. Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. There's a leper that comes before Jesus, kneels before him. Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And then Jesus reaches out his hand and says, I am willing be clean. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And then in Mark, Mark chapter 7, uh, we see a, a deaf man who is, uh, who is there with Jesus. And he is seeking Jesus' healing. It says that he's been deaf and can hardly speak. And in Mark chapter 6, he says, excuse me, in chapter 7, Jesus looks up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he says, Be opened, and his ears are opened. Blind see, lame walk, lepers cleansed, deaf hear. And then in Luke chapter 7, Jesus, this is one of the uh, lesser preached uh, healings of Jesus. This is a dead man who's being taken out of the city. It's the only son of of his mother, a widow's son. And the widow is weeping at the gate as he's being taken out. And then when Jesus sees this woman, he says to her, do not cry. And in verse 14, young man, I say to you, get up. And the man gets up and he is raised from the dead. And then the poor will receive good news. Luke chapter 6, verses, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus always made good on his word. Every single time. He was able to speak a word and it, was, and it came to pass. So now the Pharisees have great concern. They have great concern because they have seen the blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers be cleansed, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise, and the poor receive good news. And so at Jesus' word, they now have great concern that the grave will have no power or victory. I understand the Pharisees' concern. I understand why they didn't exit stage right. They came to Pilate and said, we got to do this right. 
We got to make sure that the grave holds this man in. And so uh, we see that, that Pilate relents. I mean, Pilate at this point has to just be so exhausted with the Pharisees. Uh, he's given them everything they wanted all along the way. And so here in this space, he says, sure, set a guard. And, and, and I love the way that, that this verse then, then identifies how this guard would be placed. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So first of all, this is not a single guard. It's not like Pilate said, hey, Jason, go guard the tomb. This, this word guard is actually a, 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 a group of men. And later on, we hear the plural of guards multiple times over so that we know it was multiple individuals. But this was a unit that was deployed to do to, to secure the tomb as best as the Romans knew how. The Roman Empire, the conquerors of the world, these people seem to know what they're doing when it comes to military strategy and security. And Pilate just said, go and do your best. Whatever you know how to do, do that. Make him secure. Make him secure. Well, that is that Roman security didn't seem to have all that much effect. Sure, they uh, stay, stationed their men at the tomb. Sure, they rolled a huge stone in front of the tomb to make sure that there was no way in and no way out. But then on Easter Sunday morning, as the sun was coming up, as Mary and Mary came to the tomb, there the guard was stationed, and we hear that in verse 2 of, of chapter 28, there was a violent earthquake, and the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and the stone was rolled away. And then as though to, to mock the attempt at security, the angel of the Lord, did you hear what he did? He perched up on the stone, just like set back. I, felt, I feel like he crossed his legs and just leaned back a little bit, like, like so you put a stone there, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and his clothes are dazzling white, and you just can imagine this scene, these men that were deployed to keep Jesus' word from coming to pass. But his word had too much power. His word is, was, and always will be true. There are two responses to this miraculous wonder Two responses. First, you have the guards. The guards of the tomb, the Roman soldiers that were deployed, the guards that were there, they tremble, they fall down flat on the ground, and they were like dead men. I thought the dead man was supposed to be in the tomb. Now all the soldiers are lying on the ground like they're dead. But then there are two women. They're not on the ground dead. They're standing up and listening to the words of the angel of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying they're not afraid. Later in the, in the scriptures, it says that they were afraid. But they were standing firm 
as though they weren't surprised. It's almost like they were there waiting to see Jesus' words come true one more time. One more time, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Let's hear from the angel. The angel of the Lord says to the women, he doesn't even address the guards. Like they're just, they're just, they're there. He says to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Just as he said. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. The guards could not detain him. The tomb could not retain him. The stone could not contain him. Death could not defeat him. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. You should have known this was going to happen, women. You should have known this was going to happen, Pharisees. You should have known this was going to happen, Pilate. Everyone, you should have known this was going to happen because it did happen. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. This is the good news. Jesus makes good on his word every time without fail. For all of eternity, Jesus is trustworthy and true. And so what's the women's response? The, the, the angel of the Lord goes on and says, hey, you could look inside. You, you could see with your own eyes. You could walk in if you want. You could confirm that it's empty, that he's not here, that he's risen. But what do the women do? Do they peer in? Do they take that time? Not even a minute. Not even a moment. They don't look inside. They actually stand up, hear the word from the angel, and head on their way. They're ready to share the good news. They believed Jesus at his word, didn't need to see, but were there faithfully reporting then to the disciples what took place. It says that they left. They left afraid and filled with joy. Not just afraid. Afraid, that word afraid, I think, I think there's awe, there's reverence, there's majesty, there's wonder. I get it. It is magnificent that Jesus rose from the dead. They're afraid and they're overjoyed. They're overjoyed. They're overjoyed because their Savior lives. They're also overjoyed because if Jesus rose from the dead just as he said, then it means that all the other things that Jesus said he would do are going to come to pass as well. And that's worthy of celebration. Are any of you here weary today? Are any of you tired are you facing some challenges in life and you're wondering, how am I going to walk through this? How am I going to make my way through this? Well, in, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus goes and meets with his disciples and tell, tells them, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Now, I might give you rest, not, not, it's possible you would find some rest in me. He says, I will give you rest. 
And if he's not here, he is risen just as he said. And he said that he's going to give you some rest. You could trust it. His word is trustworthy and true. In John chapter 14, we hear Jesus. He's also uh, with his disciples walking to the garden of Gethsemane. And he tells them, and as he meets with them, he starts to describe to them some things that they can expect. And the first is this. I will, not I might, not possibly, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus will, does, is giving you the Holy Spirit of God to live in you, to be with you. John chapter 10, verse 10 what else did, the, did Mary and Mary know that Jesus was going to do? He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Life to the fullest. Jesus says, it is yours in me. And then, of course, we know and have confidence in the truth of Jesus' words in John 14, verse 2 and 3. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus has prepared eternal life for you and for me. The women witnessed to it. The angel of the Lord says to the women, he's not here. He's risen just as he said. And you know, and I know that his words are trustworthy and true. Can you trust Jesus? Who else are you going to trust? Why wouldn't you trust him? Every single time he's made good on his word. And today he has words available for you and he is going to make good on them. If you turn your heart to him, if you profess in your heart and utter with your lips that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. If you put your heart in his hands and say, I am yours, you are mine, love me and I have loved you. Jesus is ready to give you rest. Jesus is ready to forgive your sins. Jesus is ready to give you abundant life. And Jesus is ready to give you life eternal. He always, every time, without fail, makes good on his word. And his word is here speaking truth over you today. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Let's pray together. Gracious God, what an extraordinary witness to your, to your truth, to your glory, to, to what you have for us and what you bring in us and amongst us. Lord, we pray. We pray for your grace to wash over us. We pray for life for life abundant and eternal in you. 
Lord, you are Savior. You are Lord. And so we offer our whole self to you. Just as you did not withhold even a part of yourself from us, but offered yourself for us, Lord, we offer our whole selves back to you. So, Lord, we came today, some trusting, some skeptics, and over and over again, you have proven yourself to us. So now we pray, gracious Father, that we would trust in you, that we would give you what you deserve, honor, glory, for you are majestic and mighty. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our time with you in worship around your word. We trust you, O oh God. So now as we enter into this time of uh, of offering as we continue in worship, Lord, we ask that you would be amongst us as we offer a portion of what you have given to us to the kingdom-building work of your church. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless both gift and giver alike, that these gifts would go to the kingdom-building work of your church, and these givers, Lord, would, would be rejoicing in the power of knowing what it is to give something away. Lord, be glorified in this time of offering. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.